Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Hey everybody, good morning and welcome to Coastal Community Church. Hey, I want to kind of tie in right to what Scott just said. Speaking of our Coastal Kids Children's Ministry, there's not a better ministry. I'm sure all of our ministries think they have the best ministry. My wife leads Coastal Kids Ministry, so I, I, I need to say she has the best ministry. Uh, but uh, in today, in person, inside your bulletin is this little insert. Uh, it's our Coastal Kids Volunteer uh, Insert all the different ways for you to volunteer uh, in our children's ministry. And, you know, sometimes I think people think that, well, if I can't teach, there's really nothing for me to do. Nothing could be further from the truth. So check out this insert, fill it out, fold it, just stick it in the offering blue buckets on your way out of the service, and uh, my wife and her team will follow up with you. And we always say, also, I know at a lot of churches, you sign up for like nursery or children's ministry, sometimes they feel like it's the black hole of ministry, and you're like stuck there for life, and you're never going to see the light of day or other people or, or, or a service. Nothing could be further from the truth here at Coastal Community Church. We tell people that one service, once a month, makes an enormous impact. So anyway, sign up, let, let her know that you'd be interested in serving, and uh, we, we would love to follow up with you with that, especially next week as we begin to add uh, the Coastal Kids Children's Ministry for the 1115 service. So uh, today, let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought to yourself, wouldn't it be great if when we come into a relationship with Jesus, that he would just, uh, you know, just take us on right up to heaven, right away? Or, or maybe, you know, let's move it a little closer to home that when, that when times are tough, okay, when times are difficult, like they've been in this season, like we've been in this season, or like when a loved one dies, or when the world around us just seems to be getting more and more evil and further away from God, do you ever just look up into the sky and just long for the day when the trumpet will sound, the sky will split, and Jesus will return and take us home? You know, away from all of this. You know, that, that, that somehow, some way, we could just, you know, bypass all the heartache, all the hurt, all the pain, the disease, all the struggle, all the temptation, all the evil and lawlessness of this world, and then we would just go on and go to glory and go to heaven and be with God and be reunited with all of our loved ones. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, I think if we're honest, I think we all feel that way from time to time. And I think that that's exactly what these believers that Peter was writing to had to be feeling because of what they were going through. But that's not the reality, is it? You know, God has decided to keep us right here and to give us a mission you know, to be his ambassadors, to, to share and experience the, the life and love of Jesus with Charleston and the world, that he's left us here on earth to, to walk out that tension, right, of, of longing to be with him, you know, on the one side, be reunited with our loved ones, and then over here, living in this world, in this evil world, while loving people and pointing them to Jesus. He's left us here to to walk out that tension. In fact, listen to how uh, the Apostle Paul describes that in Philippians chapter two, this tension. Listen to this. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Now, does that describe our world today or what? 
and evil and perverse people. You know, this series that we're in right now, it's called what? Hope in the dark. Not apart from the dark. We're called to live in it. Now, I got to confess to you that when I was uh, in Bible college, you know, planning to go into ministry, and then when I first started out, very first started out in ministry, I was a little naive. I really was, especially about sin and evil and uh, the darkness in, in people's lives and in the world. And I guess I just kind of assumed that, you know, when people got all dressed up and they looked pretty like all of you do on Sunday morning, that that appearance, for the most part, matched your lives. You know, marital problems, divorce, affairs, alcoholism, addiction, abuse, sexual immorality, all of that. It all just came as like a, a huge surprise to me. It really did. And I, at first I was like, oh, no, not them. No way, not that couple. I mean, I can't believe it. Well, let me tell you something. Pastor Chris is naive no longer, okay? I am surprised by nothing, nothing. I, well, I'll take that back. Truthfully, I am surprised when I meet families or people um, who, who don't come with those sort of problems. And I'm surprised when some of you actually think that I or our church might be surprised or shocked to learn of your problems or the problems of your friends that you're going to, you know, that you're inviting to church or bringing to church. You know, sometimes, seriously, it's like somebody will come up to me like, Pastor Chris, now, when you see them, when, you, when you're around them, don't be surprised if they swear around you. <gasps> you know, and I always want to say, swearing? What's that? I've never, I've never heard language like that before, you know? Listen, I am not surprised by anything, anything. I mean, if I were to share with you just some of the things that I've seen and heard over the past 30 years of ministry, it would make most of you, even some of you who think, you know, you've been around the block a few times, it'd make you sick to your stomach. I'm not joking. Listen, who do you think Jerry Springer has been calling all these years for show ideas? <laughs> Pastor Chris. Now, do the problems and pain in people's lives surprise me? No, it doesn't. I'm bothered by it many times. I'm saddened by it. But I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised by sin. You know, the Bible tells us in 1 John 5, 19, we know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. There's that tension again. You see, we belong to God, but we live in a world that's under control of the evil one. So we shouldn't be surprised by sin. Now, should we be saddened by it? Yes. Should we, you know, want to change the world and make an impact? You bet. But we shouldn't be surprised you know, the world system really lies in the lap of the evil one who is nurturing and driving this way of thinking, who cultivates evil and motivates it and, and gives it nourishment. And by the way, evil is designed to appeal to us. You know, to appeal to our fleshly desires, our old, our old man or woman of life, our, you know, to make life easy and comfortable and constantly tempting us to go the way of the world instead of the way of God. And why should we be surprised when, by the way, 
All of us, listen to me, all of us, no matter what your background is, do you hear me? No matter what your background is, whether it has been unthinkably and outwardly you know, evil and, and uh, against God and abhorrent, or rather you happen to grow up with a mom and dad and great parents, a nice home, nice white, white picket fence, everybody you know, went to Sunday school and church together, but why? It doesn't matter. Why should we be surprised when the Bible teaches, guess what? That we are all sinners, saved, by the same grace. You see, the standard is not me. It's not you. I don't care what your background or who you are. It's not you. It's not your neighbor. It's not Billy Graham. It's not Mother Teresa. It's not the Pope. It's not your, you know, your, your mean and, and evil, nasty, wicked co-workers. By the way, we all have this uncanny ability, don't we, to find people that we think we're better than or worse than. But let me let you in on something. That's not the standard. The standard of judgment and comparison is the absolute holiness and righteousness of God. And if that's the standard, guess what? We all fall miserably short, and we waste an enormous amount of time comparing ourselves when we're not the standard. Now, if the sinfulness of the people in this world still surprise you, what I'm trying to say today in a very loving way is maybe you need to come down from your high holy horse and come to grips with your own sinfulness and just exactly who you are and who you would be without Jesus in your life. See, we all have problems. We all have pain. We are all in recovery from sin. And we've said this before. Listen, I, I mean it. If you think you're perfect, if you think you got everything all together and you, you're complete and you got no problems or no pain or no past, you can exit to the rear. Okay, you're not welcome here because this is a hospital for sick people. And by the way, if our church ever gets to the point where the sinfulness and problems and pain of this world surprises you, you know what that tells me? That we are no longer on the front lines anymore that we're not out in the world building redemptive, loving, gracious, truthful relationships with people who are hurting and lost without Jesus. That we've just become a pretty building, that we, you know, it's us four and no more, a sanctuary for saints and a, a touchy-feely fellowship. Listen, the Bible teaches that the church, we, we are an army. The Bible says that the gates of hell cannot stand up against us. Now, some people think that that means, well, you know, if we gather together close enough in the church building and we, we cower inside from all of the evil and the terrible and the darkness of, of the world on the outside and all those bad people and we just kind of hold each other tight, that Satan won't be able to get to us kind of like the three little pigs or something. You know, Satan will huff and puff, but he won't be able to blow the house down. You know, the gates of hell will not prevail. Let me tell you something. Not by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin does that mean that. What it means is that the church is an army and that when we gather together, this is just the planning session. This is the Pentagon. We're the joint sheets of staff. And we are to, when we leave this place, we are to attack, attack, attack Satan and all of his forces. And the gates of hell will not be able to withstand the church of Jesus Christ. You see, the church, coastal, we're not on the defense. This is not some sort of prevent, prevent defense until Jesus returns. No, 
We're on the offensive. And until that final trumpet sounds one day, our job right now is to rescue as many people as possible who are still under the control of the enemy, to set them free. Now, you gotta hear this, especially right now when times seem so difficult and so divisive. I don't care who that person is. The people of this world are not the enemy. Satan is. Now, they might act like it sometimes, but they're not the enemy. And by the way, it is not us against them, against the people of the world. It is us, the people of God, against the prince of this world and his forces to save the people of this world. The same Jesus that died for you died for that person that disagrees with you. The same Jesus who died for you died for that person who you think is is evil and abhorrent. The same person that, that you keep arguing with on social media. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. And so once we rescue them, we're to bring them to a safe place. Kind of a hospital of sorts where where people can soothe their wounds and heal their hurts. And then together we send everybody out to rescue more people. That's the church. That's the tension. We're both a strategic planning ground and a hospital. And by the way, My understanding of a hospital is a hospital doesn't require people to get well before they're admitted. That's our job. We take people where they're at and then by the Holy Spirit and God's holy word, Jesus does the healing. That's why we point people to him. And and this is supposed to be a safe place for that to happen. I don't care what they smell like. I don't care what they say. I don't care the words that come out of their mouth. Man, let's bring them here and let's let the Holy Spirit and God's word do their work in their lives. Now, in the meantime, out on the battlefield, don't be surprised by what you see in here. Sure, you're gonna hear some things that sadden you, that might shock you, that might make you angry, might upset you. You ever talk to a veteran about war? And I mean a a man or a woman who's seen uh, combat. Sooner or later, they will all say something like this. There are just some things I'd rather not talk about. Now, they were all given the same talk early on, They were reminded, hey, this is war. Don't be surprised by what you see. Now, don't ever get to the point where it doesn't upset you or bother you, but don't be surprised. That's the tension that I want you to understand and recognize as we dig into what Peter was trying to say to these first century believers and what he's saying to you and me today in this, in this first chapter. This, this tension of, of being a believer and then fronting, fighting on the front lines in the world, being in the world but not of the world. And can we all just be honest with each other and just admit that it's easy just to continue to be like everyone else, to be like the world, and that that struggle is real. But remember, remember the setting of this letter that Peter writes. He's writing to Christians who are being persecuted for their faith. 
They're literally being slaughtered. I mean, don't you think that you would be tempted to give up or give in and forsake Jesus and the church if it meant that your family would not be slaughtered? And yet, even though we don't really understand that kind of pressure and persecution, I think we face the same type of temptation all the time. Well, you know, sure, I might be a follower of Jesus, but, you know, in this area of my life over here, you know, because it's inconvenient, because it's not really comfortable, because I might have to take a stand, because it'll cost me, because, you know, times are tough, I think I'll just go my own way. I think I'll just live like everybody else. So what does Peter say about that? And about this tension. Well, he doesn't pull any punches. Listen to this. He says, you have been made holy, so live like it. You've been made holy, so live like it. First Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now... You must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. Man, he he doesn't pull any punches with these people, with us. He says, don't slip back into your old ways of living. You know better now, but now you must be what? Circle that word there, holy. Now, for for a lot of us, holy is a pretty scary word, right? I mean, it really is a word that we really only associate with priests or water. But it really has a simpler definition. It means to be set apart. It means to be different. Set apart from the ways of this world. To be different from the ways of your old person, the old flesh, uh, the ways of darkness. And that's what Peter is saying. He's saying, listen, you have been made brand new. You are set apart for God. Now live like it. You see, God's not telling you to be something you're not. He's telling you to become something you already are. Because if you're in Christ, you've been made holy. You're set apart. By the way, not because of anything you've done or because who you are, but because of what Jesus did. And now he lives in you. It's Christ in you. You know, years and years and years ago, uh, we used to sing an old chorus, a song uh, called Holy Ground. Anybody remember that? We are standing on holy ground. So here's what, we, here's what I want everybody to do for me, okay? I want everybody, literally, in, in person, and if you're watching online, I want everybody to stand up right now, literally. I'm not, I'm not joking. Stand up right where you are. Go ahead and stand up. Now, here's what I want you to do. Everybody look down at your feet where you're standing. Literally, look down. Guess what? If you are a believer, if Jesus lives in you right now, you are standing on holy ground. Not because some priest, you know, uh, blessed this auditorium or blessed your living room, but because Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God, lives in you. The King of kings and the Lord of lords is in your heart. So therefore, wherever you go, guess what? You are standing on holy ground. You can be seated. Now, here's what that means, though. Listen to this. At your workplace tomorrow morning, Monday through Friday, guess what? You are standing on holy ground. In your home, with your children and your family, you are standing on holy ground. Single adults, out on that date, with that guy, with that girl, guess what? You are standing on holy ground. And so what Peter is simply saying is this. Now act like it. Act like it. 
Become more and more as God already sees you. That's what set apart means. God says you got two choices. You can choose to go your way, the world's way, or you can choose the path that he's laid out. Now, typically, we choose our way because it's easier. It's more comfortable. But the effects of not choosing God's way, of not living God's way, has a lot of consequences. It's always more painful, more costly. Your relationships are not going to be as good. God says you're holy. Be set apart from the world's way. You know, listen, if you want what the world has, you know, what everybody else has, you just keep doing what everybody else is doing. Be different. Be set apart. But choosing to be different is tough. Living God's way and following his plan is not always easy. We are always tempted, you know, to, to by the world's way. And Peter knows it. That's, why, by the way, why he says in the first part of verse 13, so prepare your minds for action and, all, and exercise self-control. Peter's saying, man, this isn't the time to take it easy. By the way, that's true right now. You see, that's what Peter was writing to these people who are hurting and going through difficult times, and that's the same message we need to hear today loud and clear. This is not the time to, you know, to slouch off, to take it easy. It's time to put our minds in gear, not to revert back to our old ways, to prepare for battle. Now, why? Why should we live that way? What's the motivation? Well, he tells us, because God paid a high price for you. Because God paid a high price for you. Look at verse 18 and 19. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere silver or gold because they lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. You see, God paid the ultimate price to rescue us. It wasn't a ransom of money. It was his one and only son, Jesus. Jesus died for you. Jesus was crucified for you. He went to the cross for you. He took a beating, the likes of which you and I could hardly fathom, for you. That's the motivation. That's the why. And if you take nothing else from today, take that. Peter says, please, don't go back to your old way of life. Live a life set apart for God. Live different than the rest of the world. Not because your mom and dad say so. Not because Pastor Chris says so. But because Jesus paid the ultimate price so that you might be made right with God. So that the sin in our lives might be transferred to the holiness of Jesus on the cross. And that his holiness and his righteousness would be transferred to you. When you put your faith and trust in him, so that when God looks at you, he now says, perfect, holy, and righteous. Now, practically speaking, what does that holy life look like? How do we live that out every day? It's probably not what you think, by the way. Because I think, especially, you know, Christians, church people, when we tend to think of holiness, we tend to think of a long list of rules and do's and don'ts, kind of a checklist of outward morality markers. But Peter says what, that what ultimately sets us apart, number one, is our love for people. Our love for people. Verse 22. 
You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. Now, I would have preferred for him to start off with something a little easier. Wouldn't you? Let me ask, I mean, do you love other people with your whole heart? Is, is love the filter through which your actions go through? Do you hold other people in high regard, especially people, you know, people of the world, people who live differently than you do? Do you consider others better than yourself? Peter is actually saying that love is what sets us apart. Love is the display of holiness. Love is the litmus test for followers of Jesus. In fact, Jesus said the same thing, John 13, 35. He said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Do you want to be different? You want to be set apart? You want to be holy? It starts with love. And then Peter even takes it a step further by telling us what that looks like. 1 Peter 2.1. So get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, unkind speech. He says get rid of it. Do away with it. Evil behavior, deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, unkind speech. By the way, what a great reminder as we head into another election. What a great reminder before you post something on social media. Unkind speech. What a great reminder about just how we're supposed to treat people. That it's our love that should set us apart. Not what we, you know, what we know. You know, what we know has got to transform how we live. The other thing, speaking of what we know that sets apart God's people from the rest of the world, is our love for God's word. Listen to how Peter describes the priority and the power and the, the permanence of the word of God. Uh, verses 23 and 25. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass wither withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. Peter's trying to remind us that, listen, everything else of this world, everything one day will eventually fade all away. And the only thing that will remain is the word of God. And it's the word of God, the gospel, the good news of Jesus that brought life to you, eternal life. So as believers, okay, one thing that should set us apart is our love for God's word and our desire, listen to this, not only to learn it, to know it, but most importantly, to live by it, to be transformed by it. I love the illustration that, that Peter uses to describe our desire and our thirst for God's word. Look at verses two and three of chapter two. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. Moms, dad, new moms, you, you remember those days? Cry out for that nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. What's he saying? He's saying that our desire for the word of God, the Bible, should be just like that newborn baby that can't be satisfied, that is crying out to be fed. Be that thirsty for the word of God. Now, 
if we're honest, some of you, you come here on Sunday mornings or you tune in on Sunday mornings. And that's the only spiritual nourishment you get. Can you imagine if you only fed that child on Sunday morning for like a half an hour? And that's one of the reasons why, quite frankly, you're struggling to be set apart from the world. Why you're having such a hard time walking out this tension of being in the world, but not of it. Because you're spiritually malnourished. Listen, sign up for that First Peter daily devotional. I mean, constantly here at Coastal, we are challenging, pushing, encouraging you to get into God's Word. You know, we, 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 and it's so easy today, by the way. Maybe that's part of the problem. I mean, if you don't have you, you know, if you have a smartphone and you don't have you version of the Bible app on your phone, what do you? Why not? If you're a part of Coastal and you've not signed up for that daily devotional to be sent to you every day where you can read a little part of God's word, why not? You see, God's word, by the way, is not supposed to be a billy club for us to beat other people over the head who disagree with us. It's nourishment for our souls. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach who, by the way? Us, believers, what is true, and to make us realize what's wrong in whose lives? Our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. God's word changes and transforms God's people but you gotta read it. You gotta let it do its work in your life. Because it is one of the things that sets us apart and helps us to live out this tension of living in the world, but not being of it. And the reality is, guys, listen, it, it has been a difficult season. Times are tough. And I think that's when it's so easy just to go the way of the world. And Peter is reminding, he's reminding his readers and he's reminding, reminding us it's not time to slack off. Be holy. Because you've been made holy by God. Live like it. Why? Because God paid a high price for you. The death of his one and only son, Jesus. So how do we live that out every day? What sets us apart? Our love for other people and our love for God's word. Listen, we're all sinners in need of a Savior. God is absolutely holy and righteous, and we are not. And so therefore, the only way we can get to heaven, listen, heaven's a perfect place, God's there. The only way we can have this relationship, this personal relationship with God, is not by trying to be good enough. It's not by a long list of rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. That, that's never going to bridge the gap. You're never going to you know, take away all your sin. It can't happen that way. Once you've sinned, you've blown it. Listen, the only way it can be done is through that miraculous transfer of the righteousness and holiness of Jesus onto your account. 
And Jesus is ready for you to make that transfer. He's already done the work. He's just waiting on you to cry out to him in faith. Just to, to trust him. To call out to God and to admit the obvious that you're a sinner in need of a savior and to accept the one that's been provided. You can do that right now. You can do it right here today. And if you have already done it, then Coastal, let's live like it. Let's live like it. Listen, this world is looking for something different. It's looking for something better, and we have it. It's not the next president. It's not a political party. It's the person of Jesus Christ who will be here with his word long, long after this nation is said and gone, done and gone. That's just the truth. It's Jesus. That's why we're here. And if you're ready to come home, pray with me right now. Bow your heads and, and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today I, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for this reminder that Peter gives all of us to, that we've been made holy, so now live like it. Live that out as a, through our love for people and our love for your word. And listen, if you're here today in the room or if you're uh, online and you hear my voice and you are ready to come home, you are ready to be made right in God's sight, to be acceptable in his sight, to have a relationship with him, to have your sin forgiven and wiped away, listen, you can do it right now. Just cry out to God wherever you're at and say, Dear Heavenly Father, I admit it. I have blown it. I have, I have chosen to go my own way, the way of this world not your way, but today, God, I turn my back on all of that and I turn in faith to Jesus. I believe, I believe that he is your son. I believe that he went to the cross and he died on a cross for me and my sin, but death and pain and this world, he, he, he was, his power was too great for any of that to contain him. It could not contain him. He rose from the dead and he is alive. And I believe it today. As much as I know how, as much as I understand, I put my faith and my trust in Jesus today. And for the rest of my life, God, I just want to become more and more like you see me right now. Perfect, brand new, holy, and set apart. And Father, help our church to be the church that you've called us to be, to be that army, to beat down the gates of hell and to rescue people one life at a time. I pray this today in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.